Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. Uh, back again, this is Neil and Paddy. We're go- we're, we've calmed down after, after a fantastic Sunday, after the dust has settled. There's been a bit of news out of Aston Villa uh, with regards to Suso getting the chop. Uh, we're going to have a quick uh, discussion on that, myself and Paddy, first. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take you through uh, each of our five good, five bad uh, for, the, for the year that's just gone past. I know there's a lot of yearly reviews going on at the moment, and... And look, everybody has probably looked back through the results to and, and kind of at, at times wondered how the hell do we get out of this and not get relegated because uh, there was some certainly some uh, so there was a lot of times where we couldn't get uh, our feet under the table within the Premier League. But we're going to take a look at some at five um, things that we found were bad about last year and five things we found, we found that were good last year. But firstly, before that, we're going to have a quick chat about Suso and we're going to talk uh, about his. Uh, you know, he, the fact that he's been relieved from his job. And Paddy, first of all, I suppose even before we do that, it'd be, I need to ask you how you're doing. I'm good. <laughs> good. I've uh, gone past my uh, obligatory three-day hangover now when I have a few beers. I think that's a sign of my age. But uh, yeah, still still buzzing at the fact that we're uh, a Premier League team and looking forward to all the nice stuff now of an, a new kit and the uh, fixtures coming out and new transfers yeah. and... Yeah, I'm I'm good and I'm excited. So it's uh, something to look forward to, rather than what 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 uh, what day we're going to loot in the way or, or something. Yeah. Like it's you know, so it's uh, I'm a lot better than I was two weeks ago. So yeah, yeah, I I'm I'm the same. Um, well, as everybody who listens to this podcast, 
always, uh, I will know that I always thought we were going to stay up anyway. So the, I never really got that impinging fear, uh, fear or doom that we were going to go down. But uh, see, it's great to be able to say I told you so when uh, <laughs> when when things like this happen. But uh, I might need to be doing this podcast if we got relegated, just for fear that I got filters. <laughs> but we didn't, and I got taken by. I'm still taking my victory lap. But um, yeah, you're right. It is. It's good to be able to look forward. We've actually got loads to look forward to. As I say, kit launch. It was a dodgy kit being sent around. Uh, last night, um, yeah. If that's I, I know case, you, don't, I know you don't think it's it's real, but I have a sneaky suspicion it might be. If that's real, um, I think if that's real, I think Philip better get on printing a hell of a lot more of those AVFC Irish Lions jerseys because I maintain there's about half a million in in circulation at the moment, and they could sell. 10 million of them I would say this year if that's going to be the jersey because that jersey is pretty poor uh, the yeah. one that was there it's, it's, it's bad it's almost as bad as the Daffabet ones that were out um, a couple of years ago um, but that is shocking shite I can't imagine whatever um, focus group they brought in for that would have passed it that's the only thing in my mind that's gone an unfocused group because they couldn't <laughs> focus their feckin' eyesight to be able to see the polka dots on a jersey. Like, come on to fuck. It's not... Like, it, it might look okay as a horse-riding silks, you know, maybe something for Michael O'Leary or was it Best Mate, I think, it was was the horse that had the villa colours, um, you know, but, uh, yeah, certainly not for a football team. Um, it just looked horrible. It looked... Yeah. It looked like something you pick up for Fiverr in... Uh, you know, in, in what is it, JD Sports or something like that in the bargain bin. It was rotten, and I yeah. certainly won't be buying it anyway. Kind of hoping the Kappa just put it out there just to ride people up in advance of the discussion further down the line. But, like, it's only a few days away from uh, from finding out what it actually is, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There isn't, there isn't. Or leaks is, and concept kits. Is there a date for it? Um, not officially, but expecting it in the next week anyway. Yeah, yeah. I suppose with the, with the shortened season... Shortened off season, they're going to need to get it out there quick mm. as well. And uh, you never know. Every time we release a jersey, it's who are they going to unveil as the signing the day that we release the jersey? <laughs> you know, it's how many chairs are at the pes- press conference? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, see the, the uh, <laughs> Somebody did up a meme of uh, Tyrone Mings in, in Witten Station on the phone talking to Axel Two and Zabie. Did you see it? I saw that. Yeah, yeah. And the Tammy. band back together. And Tammy, the, yeah. <laughs> the band back together. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that is, look, I suppose that is something exciting to look forward to the kit launch and obviously the, the, the new signings that are going to come in because we're not going to, you know, run it back the way we finish the season. And we're going to have a new man at the helm or we may have no man at the helm until the season starts, that will actually be in charge of making those signings themselves. Because as we mentioned, Jesus Pitarch, um Suso, as he was known, uh, has departed the scene. Uh, no really clear, concrete uh, reason, or reasoning given as to if he was sacked, if he left his role, if it was a mutual agreement, if there was stuff out there, his contract wasn't extended, and so on. But um, yeah, Suso has gone. And... Uh, we're going to be, they said that they're going to be refilling that position again. And I know that Dean Smith actually likes to work underneath the director of football. So whatever we feel about a director of football. Mm. And I know I'm on the opposite side to directors of football as you. I know you don't, you feel <laughs> they don't work at all. Um, I think that they have a place. I think that uh, the commercial side of things, the, the, the contract side of things and so on, um, that a manager, a manager doesn't know about how to do those. Um, and, you know, if we put everything in a manager's hands from that point of view, um, you could be liable to give 
contracts yeah. that are too big. Or I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for a director of or sporting director, wherever they bloody call them now, because I think director yeah. has, has had a bad name over the years. I'm all for it as long as it is only sorting out players' matters. Yeah. If pick If they pick the players then we have a problem because we've got a manager working with players that aren't his. Yeah. I think that was the general consensus this year. How wrong that is, we don't know. We'll probably never know. But um, we looked at the we looked at the signings throughout the throughout the season and kind of scratched our heads of but let's call a spade a spade. He signed enough players to keep us up. So And that's exactly it. Like like in the yeah. cold light of day on Tuesday when I when I look back at all the players, and it's been done on Twitter loads of times. We've had more hits than misses. I think really what's in people's minds are Danny Drinkwater, uh, um, Barca Vastan, and mm. having to get a goalkeeper in, uh, getting a goalkeeper when we already had three, uh, yeah. three fit goalkeepers at the, well, sorry, two fit goalkeepers and Matthias Arkic, who was brought back um, at, the, at the club at that stage. So I think a lot of people would look at January and go, he didn't help us in January. And then you hear all Guillaume Balaguer has come out with the fact that he was trying to sign in Zanzi and, but uh, Smith and, um, and Perslow wanted drink water. And I don't know how much I put in that, but we were heavily <laughs> yeah. linked with Nzanzi. Uh, and as I know, Guillaume Balaguer being Spanish and would have worked, would have uh, dealings with Patash from his time at Sevilla and Girona. Um, uh, was it Girona? I think it was Sevilla anyway, but, um, yeah, so look, there there could be something in that, but there also might be something in it. I felt that the that the tweets that Balaguer put out were actually quite contradictory in parts. So he didn't. It looked like he was hedging his bets to come down on both sides without offending anybody, but while yeah. trying to point paint. He has, he has a habit right. of doing that. <laughs> yeah, he, he he does. I I met I met him actually in Liverpool on the terror one time about two thousand. It was actually after Liverpool won Champions League in two thousand and five, the Istanbul yeah. one. Um, about. Yeah, so they would have won that in May, and we were there in late August, I would say. Uh, we had just won a, a, a county championship here in, uh, in Hurling. For anybody who doesn't know Hurling, just look it up. I'm not going to explain <laughs> it. Uh, but we had won it, and uh, we all, as a team, we all went to Liverpool, and we met him outside a pub, and he was half steamed himself. Um, so, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, no, he's uh, he came across a nice guy that time, but you know sometimes his punditry is very much on the fence. I think at times. I think um, so. Yeah. He's he's a good guy. I, I've yeah. actually gone to a couple of talks that he's done with different people of actors, MC, um, good sporting people that you'd like to listen to. But uh, yeah. yeah, probably just a little bit on the fence for me. You know, more of a more of a. Let me see. He's not a Roy Keane. He's a no. Joe Cole, let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Uh, as we get onto the five good, five bad, I think that we're later. I will probably, uh, yeah, yeah. This this might come back up again. Uh, this conversation, but uh, Paddy, I suppose, really, do you think that the club will still be active with regards to to signings? Because it, you would have to think that you know, we, as Aston Villa for the last four years have had two lists. If we're in the championship, if we're in the Premier League, yeah. we've always worked. We've worked on two lists for the last four years, um, since we went down. And you would have to imagine that the lists have been drawn up of players that they would they would look at already. Been heavily linked to Milot Rashica at the moment. The more I look at it of of him, uh, the only qualm I would have is that he's maybe a small bit undersized. And just as I uh, do, as just as I mentioned this. 
uh, yeah, we've got some breaking transfer news, but now that's Aston Villa related. It looks like Bournemouth might be um, might be saved from their uh, their financial woes. Man City seem to have come into the rescue, but uh, this isn't the Bournemouth podcast. Uh, but <laughs> Rashik, as I say, he's maybe a small bit diminutive, but you know, small players have yeah. performed in this league. He's he's wicked fast and, and so on, but. You know, the fact that our name has been thrown out there with a couple of players already would lead us to believe that we've maybe been in conversation already with, with teams and, and, and we should see that signings may come hot on the heels of maybe a, a, a kit launch and, and try and get them in early as, as early as we can. It'll be interesting. Um, <clears throat> you would imagine that Dean would need a break after, like I know we've had lockdown, but he... Obviously, to be fair to him, has spent a lot of time in lockdown working on the team and working with players, be it remotely. Um, so I would hope, given a little bit of a break to go and spend some time with his family, he's had a, he's had a rough uh, time personally over the last you know, four or five months as well. So um, I can't see anything happening in the immediate future, but I would imagine by the end of next week, that when the players are due to return, that we'd be looking at what's what's going to happen, and you know you've heard that name Rashika or Rashika before. Um, to be honest, I did all my homework on him the last time, and I saw it being mentioned yesterday. I was like, oh, here we go again. This is just lazy regurgitating this, but who knows? Um, you know, for me, <laughs> it's it's get Tammy back in now. And hope the Chelsea's on a striker because I think we I think we'd have a, a very good chance of getting him back in at a reasonable enough price. So he would he would be my number one target. Um after that, you're looking at wingers, you're maybe looking at another extra midfielder, you maybe looking at another centre half. But going back to Sue, so it's it's not all bad. Um I know he got he was something of a pantomime villain that nobody knew anything about. But uh you go through the players, you know, we've a lot of hits there. Um, we probably would have been on the fence about Douglas Louise until uh, COVID finished and we realised what a talent we have in our hands there. Um, you know, finishing off the likes of Konza, that deal, Courtney Hawes. Um, I suppose you could attribute Gilbert to him as well. You know, there's a, there's a good few successes there. Um, you know, still on the fence with Samata, uh, Trezeguet. Not for me. I don't think he's long-term future there. So, you know, when you sign them, you're going to get good and bad. We've had them over the years. We've had really good and we've had really bad. So, did he do a particularly bad job? No, because he kept us in the Premier League. Um, but the general consensus was he needed to go. So, who knows what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, and, and when you look at it from from purely a production point of view over the over the course of a twelve month period, yeah, I think that's probably probably a fair assessment. Especially any signings he made in the attacking half of the field, it just didn't really work out. I actually, apart from Wesley, I give him I give him a pass on Wesley as well because I was never as down on Wesley as everybody was. I just think that Wesley Wesley suffered from the same fate that Samata suffered from, who suffered from the same fate that Keenan Davis suffered from. And to be honest with you, it was because we had no wingers. We had no wingers. That's the way it was. Our wingers were so hot and cold. And it was only when we got Jack out in the wing and then everybody wanted him in the center, which is 100% correct because I think he's a better player in the center. But when he went out in the wing, we finally got our midfield three stabilized. As I mentioned, when we came back from, from, uh, from lockdown, we had a better structure of our midfield three. And that's when we started to kind of go forward over, over that period of time. But I think no matter who you would have put up front, 
they would have struggled without a, without decent service because we were very much predicated as a, as a counter attack mm. team, regardless. Well, the only the only thing is if if it, I don't mean to, <laughs> I don't mean to disagree with you, but I reckon if you had someone like Tammy who would instill a bit of fear into defenders, then all of a sudden their defensive game is a whole lot different to what what it is when they're playing against the likes of Wesley. So. Mm. Um, uh, and, and as I say, I, yeah, and obviously, look, if you had somebody like Tammy, but Tammy wasn't, go- wasn't going to be here, I don't think, because of the Chelsea uh, embargo and stuff. But now that they've, they've done what they need to do, scored yeah. 15, what was it, 15, 16 goals this year? Yeah. If we had a striker to score 15, 16 goals, we would have finished. We'd have been safe. We'd have been safe a long time ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. and you've got to look at the fact that Chelsea, they've signed Timo Werner. Yeah. Werner, Werner, whatever his name is. Yeah. Signed Ziek. Yeah, so the striker's there. Um, so if that would have been the first call I made on Monday morning to see if there was an opportunity there just to let us know and we'll, uh, we'll take the negotiations further. Um, the fact that we've got such a good unit there, you know, they seem to be a good togetherness there. The fact that Tammy was part of that initially, I'd I'd have no qualms getting them back in there. I think we could I think we could build our strike force around them and and bring in guys that deliver balls that he wants delivered. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed. We we never know, but the next few weeks are going to be crucial with that. And the transfer window is strange. I tried I tried deciphering it. You can you can sign up until a certain date, and then you can sign outside your league, your division. Yeah, yeah, your division. Two weeks, and it, it's it's kind of all over the shop. But I think when I read it, I was reading it from a championship point of view. <laughs> that was a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, I need to go back and have another look at <laughs> what the yeah. name of it is. Yeah, and, and and yeah, I suppose. And we, we'll talk an awful lot about transfers as, as rumours come up and as rumours happen and as people are signed and as people are let go and so on. Uh, one thing I do before we kind of finish up on Suso and we move on towards our five good and our five bad for the, league, for the season just gone, one thing I do want to actually praise Suso for is, is, and I know this would have probably happened organically with the fact we had such a big turnover last year, but when you look at the contract renewal dates for a lot of our players, our wage bill isn't exorbitant by, by Premier League standards whatsoever. It absolutely isn't. Obviously, Jack is our highest paid player at the moment. When you look at the amount of players that we have under contract through 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, it's actually amazing. So what, I, what I'm trying to get at here is that our core of our, of our, um, our team is very much settled should we choose to be a settled team. So should we stay in the Premier League and as these teams can grow together? That's mm-hmm. very underrated because you talk about selling clubs, you talk about buying clubs. A lot of these players were bought in five-year deals. I'm sure there was relegation clauses put into all of their contracts and so on. Maybe we would have left them go for the money that we had gotten them for and just to recoup that money and become and break even. But the fact that we've got these players on tied into deals whereby, you know, five, four or five-year deals uh, I'm not massive, mega, huge money, and they are forming the core group of our team at the moment. That for me is good. Now, yes, we're probably going to re up our contracts at some stage if they're performing well and if we start to go up the league, try and keep yeah. bigger vultures away from us. But at the moment, we're in a very, very good position whereby our, our, from a financial point of view, and that's what I was saying, uh, going back to the very start of the conversation is when they, when they get somebody back in again is to have somebody, it, okay, he may not have bought the, the best people in the world in January, 
But if it turns out that financially he was prudent and that commercially he was very sensible with regards to the structuring of contracts and so on like that, well, there might, like that's, that, I suppose that's an awful lot of things. Fans don't want to hear about yeah. that because it's not their money and that's fine too. But that's something that I suppose that we could pat him on the back for as well because we've, we know all too well where we've been shackled with contracts and, and, and people that just like Michael Richards and Julian Lescott, people just won't feck off, you know, because the money is too good. And, and I don't think we would have that problem should anything go south with any of the players that he did say. Yeah. Uh, can't argue with any of that. It's uh, it is it is what it is now, and as as I said, we'd like to, I'd like to thank him because we stayed yeah. up. I, I don't I don't believe in being negative about it. I know read so much this week. Thank God he's gone and all this. Well, you know nobody complained when he came in because he had a good CV behind him. So, um, as we all said in this time last year, as we were ready to relaunch the, into the Premier League, we take seventeenth. So. Mm-hmm. The man, the man got us seventeenth. What more do we want? His signings came in and, and did the business to keep us in the league. And the players we have in the main, bar our attacking options, are better than seventeenth. You know, so I think so. I think I think, so. you, I, think if, I think if we'd if we'd had it, obviously it took time to get the defence sorted. But when we did get it sorted, we were very hard to beat, with the exception of Liverpool and Man United after yeah. lockdown. We were very hard to beat, and and who knows if that Man United goal wasn't the penalty wasn't given, we may not have lost that game. Who knows? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'd agree. the The only issue was attacking all throughout, um, and we were probably a bit hamstrung with what we could spend at uh, after Christmas. So and exactly like, not knowing what league we were going to be in again. Yeah, exactly. To, so you, we 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 kind of had to spend on the unknown. And bringing Samata in, and the jury's still out on Samata, but I wouldn't call him a complete failure either. When he came in uh, initially, there was a lot of good signs there. You know, he played very well, got that goal at Wembley, um, got the header against Bournemouth, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. He looked like he was going to be a player. Now I don't know whether you know you look at some players who were exceptional after lockdown. Maybe lockdown affected him a bit differently, and we'll see. We'll see a different Samata come. Uh, the middle of September so you know it's a chapter closed we don't know what they're going to do or whether they have somebody lined up but uh, I think the club is in good hands I think they're mm. not doing um, I'm just I'm just so happy that they, they've uh, they've kept their Premier League status and now we can push on and don't be surprised if it's not a huge name that comes in as technical director as well because this is like the, the MO of this club at the moment is to get the best of the best in for youth development and they've yeah. done that with Harrison and so on and I, yes I know they've come from neighbours Birmingham and, and uh, West Brom and I wouldn't even be surprised if we saw um, if we saw Downing from West Brom um, Downing should I say from West Brom Rock up here if we say or, or Ashworth they've been mentioned previously mm. so like I know I know I've been guilty of saying let's go out and get Antero Henrique he's like he put together that beautiful Porto team and he put together yeah. Paris Saint-Germain and he only left in last last June but our Michael Milano is 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 been mentioned out and about around there yeah. but Look. I think I think the I think the key word for, for the next six weeks before we start off again is experience. We need some experience in that team. Yeah. We need we need guys who aren't going to play, you know, as if the weight of the world is on their shoulder, as El Ghazi and Trezeguet and some, yeah. um, Wesley have done. We need experience. We need guys that's going to put the fear of God into the fence. 
I, I, yeah, I, I agree to a point. I agree to a point. Yeah. I would, if we got, if we signed good pros that came in and fit into into Dean Smith's, um, like if we signed, if we signed a bunch of 28, 29, 30 year olds that fit into this team and hit the ground running, because it's my, my big thing here is you just cannot implement um, a game plan over the, over the course of four weeks. You just can't do mm. it. We weren't able to do it at the start of last year. Well, we did, but people copped onto it and we couldn't change a game plan and, and so on. But like, I mentioned on, on Twitter, I would love to see Brighton come back. First thing everybody said was no pace. Right, he's not the only signing we're going to have. I would love to see Brighton come back. If Rashica comes in, Brighton comes in, give yourself options. A good defender. You get, and, and, and I know, look, I know you can go back, you can dig up stats. He had the worst dribble rate. He had the worst cross rate last year. Look at the amount of minutes he played, number one. And number two, he's, he was basically, he was very much in and out of the Leicester team. I just think he's a good pro. I think he'd be a good option off the bench. Instead of bringing people off the bench, like credit to Indiana Vasilev, came in, he ran his socks off. But I'd say he must have touched the ball, I'd say, 15 times in all the times he was on the field. Mm. So we need depth. We had 15 good players last year, and we need depth. And if we, if we, it means we bring in good pros. And, and Danny Drinkwater wasn't a good pro. I know he's in his 30s. We can all agree that. I'm looking for good pros to come in, who come in, uh, like, uh, like uh, Ahmed and Mohamedis. They come in, they do their job, they get their results, and they're just dependable. Those guys in yeah. the are really, really good to have. I would love it. Absolutely. Anywho, <laughs> let's have a quick look back at the season. So myself and Paddy have been chatting about five good and five bad that we've had, uh, that, that, that we thought during the course of the season. And this isn't really just looking at five results and so on. It's just five things that stick out in our mind that were maybe pain points throughout the course of the year. And then five good things that we found throughout the course of the year. So I think what we'll do, Paddy, is we'll start off on the five bad and uh, we'll finish off on a good note because this wasn't the perfect season, as we all know, um, and, and, and there was quite a few things that, that kind of might have got uh, that were, were really low points during the course of the year. So, Paddy, do you want to start off with your, with your five, uh, five bad for the, for the 2019-2020 season? Yeah. Um, in at number five, a strange one, it's the uh, Kappa short sizes. <laughs> <laughs> and the blatant disrespect for, uh, um, what would you describe it? The, the uh, Portly man. The little fat lad. <laughs> <laughs> the portly gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, which when you get to a certain age and you've got a dad bod, as they say that, you know, these jerseys aren't going to fit you. I know I bought a training short for myself, extra large, thinking, oh, I've got loads around. Yeah, it fits my 14-year-old son just perfectly. So <laughs> it's not over the place. Uh, so, you know, while it's a little bit of a, Tongue in cheek one, I think is important. I think I think our fans need to be a bit more respected on that, right? And uh, you know, it goes back to the tweet that Kappa UK said, "Not slim fit." Hashtag not slim fit. Hashtag yes, they wear. Yeah, they have to realise that us guys here in Ireland in the UK, we're not like your Italians. We don't have that lovely, beautiful chisel bodies and down in Sardinia mm. sitting on catamarans. Lovely, you know, oiled bodies in the sun. No, puck of pies uh, for the guys in the UK. and Puck of pies and pints, yeah. Pints and bacon and cabbage for us <laughs> over here. So uh, neither of those two con- are conducive of yeah. an And I've no, I've no doubt they would have made a whole lot more money out of it too because the amount of people have said, I'm just not buying it, which is fair enough. I just bought, I just sized up and I went, hey, you know, yeah. I, I'm not going to be wearing this to anybody's 
anybody's wedding. So like if, if I'm only wearing it around the house and it's a size too big for me, who cares? At the end of the yeah. day, I can, that means that I'll drink more because uh, I, I'll, have, I'll have more girth room as, uh, <laughs> as I start to swell and bloat from, from a few pints. So. And lockdown. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly, from lockdown. But no, definitely, definitely a, a very, very poignant. Um, like there's, a, there's a lot bad in the season, so we're just, just trying to lighten, trying it, up. To lighten it up. <laughs> My 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 there's, four, five, a whole lot more, there's a whole lot more serious ones than the other four. Exactly, yeah, exactly. My my number five uh is um I, I, my number five is 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 the media coverage of the Premier League. Um I was never once felt excited to turn on Sky Sports or to turn on BT Sport to watch an Aston Villa game just due to the coverage, to the quality of punditry, to the quality of of um of coverage that that the Premier League gets, and we were right. I was writing this list last night, and it was I had this list written, and I just turned on the league or the Championship playoff final, uh, semi final, should I say, between Brentford and Swansea, and you had Joby Mackinoff and you had Lemur Senior, and it made me think. Lemur Senior is such a quality pundit, absolute quality. He gives you insight about what people are thinking. He gives you insight about potential potential changes to 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 um, formations and tactics and stuff like that. He's a proper pundit. He's somebody I wanted to hear, and it made me kind of go, "That is the one thing I miss about the championship is pundits yeah. that actually are prepared, that are refreshing, that aren't sensationalistic, and that aren't there to forward their own brand from a uh, a media point of view." and all too often this year, it's been very much. And look, I know we weren't our own. We weren't our own. Uh, we were probably our own biggest enemies in this because of the way we were so up and down this season. But a lot of the time, Villa were the afterthought. They were the second. They, they were always considered second best. There was times when pundits were laughing at Aston Villa and stuff like that. And for me, that's a lot of shite. You know, if you're paying forty quid a month for Sky Sports, you expect some sort of biased, decent punditry. And and, BT, and even on BT Sport, like the amount of times that BT Sport knew to, must have known that putting Robbie Savage on for a Villa game would just incite people to tweet at them and 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 basically and tag them and and, and just, tag them and shit yeah, like that sensationalize yeah. the whole thing exactly and like that's 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 wearsome it's tiring tiring it's fucking almost politicizing the whole fucking thing from a point yeah. of view of you know just trying to ramp up anger and aggression. And, and, and fuck me, it's just, it, that, that was so tiring. Like, so what I actually used to find myself doing was waiting until one minute past three or one minute past five or one minute past eight when the game I knew would be kicked off so that I would turn it on and I wouldn't ever listen to cabbages <laughs> talking about stuff and, and, and just basically talking shite because none of them have done any research. They're not prepared. Yeah. They're just spouting stuff that they've been told by producers beforehand to say. And, and for exactly. me, it just, it's, it was, it, it's one of the ones that really got me uh, like yeah. it, it, it. There were so many times in the championship. I know it was Andy Hinchcliffe more often than not, but there were so many times where you 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 tune in and there's a commentator and you go, "This fella actually speaks so much sense." Yeah. And you then you turn on Sky Sports, and you have Martin Tyler, Plamaz, and Jamie Carragher or uh, Gary Neville about their own career. Mm-hmm. They're not, We're not worried about their career. It's absolutely rubbish. And then yeah. you boy Keane slagging us off for celebrating. He wasn't slagging off Man United for celebrating getting Champions getting League. Champions League, yeah. What did they yeah. win? They didn't win anything. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I did have to yeah. go back and check that they actually celebrated and they did. Put <laughs> 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 great pleasure in that. But you didn't have anyone saying to him, but what about Man United celebrating Champions League football? You didn't yeah. have anybody saying that because that doesn't sell. 
No, that doesn't sell. And, the fact and, that he, and he knows the fact the, that he failed at, at, at Aston Villa sells. Yeah, exactly. And and he knows that like he's not going to bite off the nose despite his face because he's obviously still revered at, at exactly. United. Um, mm. even though he caused him firmer a hard, amount of hardship that people will forget anyway as well. But this look, we keep on going down the right keen road here, and there will come a yeah. time when we'll have to ban him from being spoken about on the mm-hmm. podcast. Because, yeah. but it, it is look, and it's it, 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 <laughs> he's one of the people I suppose himself and Sunes and 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 a lot of people and. To be honest with you I actually found Michael Richards is probably one of the more insightful guys even though he did get does get caught up in all the the, the laddish kind of stuff that happens on Sky Sports as well but look hopefully there will be some rectification I know that they that they are thinking about they were talking about having a, a shake up last year Carragher was great when he came in at first he's still probably the best of the bad lot at the moment I don't mind him yeah. um, but they've had a shake up with their Scottish sports the, their Scottish playing, coverage team paying these guys too much money make a box make a box no, if Villa play Birmingham City Alan Smith shouldn't be on commentary because he's a Villa fan. That's plain and simple. If Villa play Man United, Gary Neville shouldn't be on commentary. Yeah. It's just beyond belief, the shit you have to listen to. So, you know, if, if you're going to have, uh, you know, for example, Mika Richards was, was there at the weekend. So have somebody from West Ham, have an ex-West Ham player, yeah. have Jack Cole, who plays for both. Don't put... Bloody Roy Keane in there doesn't give a shit about either. Yep, doesn't care. That's my opinion on it. Anyway, we could talk about it all day. <laughs> what was your number four from the bad list, Paddy? And number four was our performances against the big six or the perceived big six. Yeah. Um, particular, the spanking against Man City uh, twice, um, the loss after lockdown of, of Man U, and the late, late drama against Liverpool at home. So, though, I, I, I think. From next year, when when I know I said it even I think I even said it on the last podcast that when when the guy tapped me on the shoulder after landing in London going to the Carabao Cup final and said Watford have beaten Liverpool, he may as well have just stabbed me in the heart because I was so pissed off because it's something we couldn't do throughout the season. Plus, it had turned us upside down into the re- relegation zone at that stage in February, and we didn't get out of it until last week. Yeah. yeah. So, um. It's results like that that at the end of the day gain you European football or they put you in the relegation zone. So you, you need to be competitive against all teams. And I'm not talking about going out and like we were really good against Man City in the Carabao Cup final. There's a huge difference to on well, less than maybe four weeks earlier we played Man City at, mm-hmm. at Villa Park when they spanked us six one. Um not helped by Danny Drinkwater in there, of course. But uh, yeah, we could go on about that one all day. But I just think our performances against the, the perceived top six, the, the Chelsea's, the Leicester's, the Man U, Man City, Liverpool. Uh, yeah, I think there's enough said about it. I agree. Uh, would you believe I nearly had that in my five good, <laughs> but, but for a completely different reason. It, it, and it kind of is in there just to show a, a different side, but obviously not the results as well. But um, yeah. my number four there is, my number four is, it's just kind of sometimes the disappointment that I have when I hear players get absolutely pilloried from pillar to post early on in their Villa careers. Um like Wesley didn't stand a chance. Just literally from day one, didn't stand a chance. We were ten games in, and people were were like screaming it uh, uh, down the down the tweet machine and Twitter that he was starting. Uh, the kid got five goals in what I think about twenty appearances. Didn't know the language. Mm. 
like there's there's a there's a lot of points in it. Um Connor Horan as well. Just just like like we see what he did towards the end of the season. Uh, we've been guilty of it here ourselves. And I'm this is this is something for me that like next year and I know it's tough because you get so passionate about certain points, but like we had a we had a good crack off El Ghazi. Uh and you know, straight away after the podcast and I listened back to it and I went, Fuck it, we kind of went in two footed on him there and and look, I know we mean it. We mean don't, well. don't, there's sometimes you have to. Yeah. And, well, and we, might get, we might get to that later on in, in, in my bad list. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I, I, think players like, yeah. I think players like Wesley, players like Douglas Louise, players like, uh, like Nakamba, it was almost a case of 10 games in is enough, let's get rid of him. And also, I suppose, really, when we talk about Dean Smith as well, there was people looking for Dean Smith's head after the Wolves game course, in November. Yeah. You know, yeah. get rid of Dean Smith, we need to get rid of him now, we'll never stay up. Well, you were wrong. We didn't get rid of him. We didn't need to get rid of him. We did stay up, okay? And just yeah. because, like, Dean Smith was fine. The issue here was we had 15 good players. There's, and, and, and for me, like, I suppose, as I say, I'm as guilty of that as every, other, as every other fan, but 10 games, 12 games into somebody's career um, in a brand new country, brand new language, and basically people are up in arms over him starting a game and starting games because mm. he doesn't affect the game in the way that they want. Nobody knows what way he's been told to play the game. We've already, exactly. like we've already covered that wingers were are, are a big issue. And I think if you don't get the services of striker, you're not going to score. You're not going to score goals. And and I know we go back with Wesley, and I'm really kind of dictating this towards Wesley because, like the the boy could have got a, a hat trick against Norwich. You know he missed the penalty, but you know he was very unlucky throughout the course of the season. Um, scored a great goal against Everton. And and I think in in future years and future are uh, in the coming year as well, and for myself, I think I'm going to be a small bit more tolerant, a small bit more uh, less passionate, use facts over feelings, I suppose, really to kind of mm. determine whether somebody is good or whether somebody is bad. Um, so that's something from me, and about okay. me, I think as well. <laughs> so what's your number three, Paddy? At number three, I have the Kevin Friend debacle versus Chris. Again, another one we could talk about all day. So I'm just going to go through it very briefly. Grealish was fouled. Yes. Managed to get the pass away and was then, rather than take a hammering, rolled a tackle. The pass was delivered to Lansbury. There was no foul at that stage, but the foul had taken place previously and Lansbury put the ball away. That's how I saw it. That's how everybody in the world saw it. Every replay saw it. And because Kevin Friend couldn't wait to get the whistle into his mouth, VAR couldn't look at it. Um, he's no friend of mine. He's no friend of any Villa fan as far as I'm concerned. Um, he almost snarled and laughed in her face uh, after it happened. I thought it was an absolute disgrace given that that half a second was all he needed to wait to blow his whistle and have it reviewed. It showed how absolutely unprofessional he was and has been in the past, and we won't go down the... He booked Jack Grealish for diving. Booked him for diving when he literally, all he did was pass the ball. There was, he was taken out as well. He didn't go looking for it. It was, get his, his, all he wanted to do was get the pass away to Lansbury, who was in a much better position, and that's how it worked out. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really want to talk much about Kevin Friend because it's 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 unanimous that that was yeah. just a shocking decision as well. Um, human error, yes, not like VAR, not like uh, Hawkeye, mm. but uh, referees were were explicitly given 
the option to allow things that were on the fence to go yeah. go forward and let VAR make the call. And he didn't do it. He he, yeah. he he implemented old school um protocol into a new school situation. Exactly. And but the one thing it did do from a Premier League point of view is it made the rest of the referees give it that second. So if it changed things for the good, so be it. But uh, we'll also anytime somebody mentions that we. Uh, that Nyland brought the ball over the line against Sheffield United and it could have kept Bournemouth up. Go back and have a look at that because mm-hmm. that was one of the biggest travesties of the lot. Okay. Anyway. My number three is... Is this my number three? or is it number, No, it's my number three. Uh, my number three is... Um, the January transfer flaps coupled with injuries at crucial times. Um we it, it, the the two things are not mutually exclusive of each other. The fact that we started to get injuries prior to January, we knew we were going to need a striker. Then John McGinn went out as well, and we got Danny Drinkwater in to replace him. So the two replacements we had, um, uh, if we look at a, at a American football stats like wins uh, wins above replacements. So do the do the replacements come in? Do we perform better with them? I think it's pretty much a given that we didn't, regardless of whether you think Wesley was a bag of shite or not. Wesley performed better than Samata, uh, unequivocally, unequivocally performed better than him. Danny Drinkwater yeah. performed worse than, than, uh, than McGinn, unequivocally. You know, so our, our wins above replacement there was, was poor. Uh, Pepe Reina, Tom Heaton was probably a wash. It was probably even. Um, and I, I actually hope we bring back Pepe Reina in, in, for another year-long contract because Tom Heaton won't be fit to start the season next season. Yeah. Maybe we will bring him back. But... Um, I think our January transfer flaps along, as I say, with the crucial injuries, that for me was a real bad time. Like there weren't a lot of people seeing the chinks of light through the clouds at that stage because Mm -hmm. it was just Wesley, Heaton, McGinn. And you're like, we only had 15 Premier League players realistically of Premier League standard at that stage. And then we bring in three players, uh, bring in four players, including Borca Bastan and you know, we still actually only had 15 Premier League players exactly. you know, at that yeah. stage. So for me, we, didn't, think, we didn't move on. I think you alluded to it earlier that <clears throat> we had to be careful what we did in January. Yeah. We could have been looking towards the championship. And I think when you look back at it now with your cool head that we stayed up, you can say to yourself, you know, we probably did as best as we could do. Um, so I think, I think we can draw a line under it and say they probably managed it enough but I would have likened to see a marquee striker come in, but yeah, it's done. <clears throat> it could be, uh, it could, there's, there's a lot to learn from it, I think. I can't see us signing a, a Danny Drinkwater or a Borja Baston again. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, I think things will, will change, and, uh, change for the better. There's a lot of lessons learned. I, I think, yeah, I think that was that was maybe the club playing it safe in a way whereby they could get a body and they could contribute, but it, didn't work out that way uh, for either mm-hmm. of those two players, and uh, yeah, and I kind of the, the 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 transfer window previous to that, we signed Tom Carroll. Like I forgot we actually I forgot too, so I actually signed him. <laughs> I know he got injured, and yeah. but like you know we sometimes when you play it safe like that, it 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 can backfire on you. But look, as I say, none of us are are versed in, in, in scouting of players and stuff like that, so won't go two-footed in on that one at all. What was your number two? Uh, uh, speaking of going in two-footed, <laughs> I said this was coming, I did warn you. Um, at number two, and only, like, purely picked this in 
how much this pissed me off. And that was Anwar Al Ghazi pulling out of that shot against Everton two weeks ago. Um, I just think when, when you are playing Premier League football and you have so much at stake to pull out of it and just barely get a touch on the ball, it was going nowhere near the goal. Like for me, it could be, it's, it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. If it's the first thing you teach a 10 year old, don't pull out of a challenge. If you're going into a challenge, you go in for a ball headed and you get that ball and you put the ball where it needs to go. He didn't do it. And probably an accumulation of a lot of mediocre performances without the season. So I'm not going to go too heavy on him. We did nearly a full podcast on this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I did anyway, because um, that's just the coach coming out of me losing the head. So um, that's what I have at number two. My number two is that bad stretch that we had just before lockdown. For me, that was almost, it was like, as I say, I always have a positive disposition about Villa, whether we're going to stay up. But I'll never forget, I didn't watch the Leicester game. And I messaged you before the Leicester game going, listen, I'm going to have to turn off the phone. Actually, it was just before we had locked down here. And I was pretty apprehensive. I didn't know what made me more apprehensive about the hammer. We, I felt that we were going to get at Leicester or going into a theatre to watch um, a concert. Uh, uh, <laughs> just as I knew that lockdown was probably looming within the next five or six days as coronavirus cases were growing yeah. in Ireland. I was going, Jesus, I don't even know, should I be going to this? Um, we turned off the phone, came out, saw we lost 4-0. But the stretch prior to that was we Bournemouth, who we lost to. Uh, Spurs, that, that son solo wonder goal. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't solo wonder goal. I think it might have been. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, last minute goal. Uh, it was the one that went under... Um Engels. Yeah, Engels. Sorry, that's yeah, the one. Yeah. One way or other, Engels. That Southampton game, like, just such an awful game. The two games mm-hmm. we played against Southampton were just awful. And then yeah. Leicester. Uh, so that bad stretch for me is that always sticks out at the lowest point that I felt things mightn't be great and we might have a bit of a squeaky bum time towards the end of the season. Uh, so that that always stands out for me as the as one of the more difficult times of the season. So that would be my number two. That stretch of games. Yeah, can't argue. It's uh, we just have uh, we just have to learn from it. Really, it's you know we can't you can't afford to go through stretches like that. No. I'm just back on the air in front of me and, and a winless February, like yeah. After after beating Watford and Le- and and the Carabao Cup semi final against Leicester, I really thought we were on ropers at that stage. And heading into the Carling Cup or the Carabao Cup final, we were poor. Yeah, really, really poor having you know a lot of Bournemouth, Spurs, Southampton. It's uh, yeah, hard to argue with that one. I think we're going to have the same number one. Do you? It, it's VAR, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's VAR. It's just it's it's going to be VAR is number one bad thing for whether it be Wesley's heel being offside against Burnley, I think it was, or whether it be Socrates not handling the ball, yet it hit him about two inches above his elbow, uh, whether it be Tyrone Mings handling the ball, yet it hit him about an inch uh, just above the point of his shoulder, whether it be, oh, Jesus, I can't go on any further. Like, but like, the, the, like when you look at what people, like that, that Wesley one where, where his heel was offside, they went into so minute detail of a guy who wasn't interfering with play. And yet, Ben Mee nearly cripples a bloke at the other end of the pitch. And it wasn't even looked at. Mm-hmm. Looked at I think Stevie Wonder was looking at it. So it's, the, it's more the, um, 
the discrepancies around, you know, what are they looking at? Um, if you remember correctly as well, the, they barely looked at the, the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they looked at Jack Bruno Fernandez a thousand times. Yeah, they looked at and and the handball against uh, Crystal Palace they, with the shoulder ball handball. Yeah, part of the arm you call it. Don't know what handball is these days, but uh, they spent forever looking at that. Yet the menu. Now, part of me says they wanted menu in Champions League football, and I've no doubt that that's the case. But I a hundred percent believe that there was a. Uh, there was a lot of discrepancies there in that if you are a big club, it was barely looked at it. Even going back to um, the referee saying, I can't remember who they were playing, but uh, Virgil van Dijk took a ball down with his arm, launched it into the box, and the referee apparently said to him, no, it was too, it was too long ago in the, in the build-up. Yeah. Well, you know, what, what's too long ago? You know, they, they, went, they went back looking at stupid things through... The teams in the shit basically spent it longer looking at them. But when it was Liverpool, Man United, the bigger clubs, and it, it, it's not—I haven't got some kind of complex about this. These are facts. These these did happen, you know. And that Bruno Fernandez penalty. No one in the right mind is given a penalty that day, unless the only only fact is it's Man United. I th- I I can only, I can think of two instances when we got it when when VAR came up trumps for us. Um, and and one of them, to be honest with you, it didn't really even affect the outcome of the game. Uh, so the only real instance is Sacco when it came off his shoulder. Like I, I still think that that was a goal. You know, I still do think that was a goal. That that I I don't really see yeah. much wrong with that. But, but then I if, think that, the if other that, one that go on, yeah, sorry. If that's a goal, Tyrone Mings isn't the penalty. Isn't the penalty. Yeah. So, so man, that's that's the whole point is that it's it's good for some but not good for others. Yeah. Uh, and I think the the time that Firmino got that goal against us for Liverpool, and it was chalked off because uh, his armpit was offside. Yeah, exactly. that was another. Um, yeah, that was another. Hard that was a strange one. Yeah, 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 that was tough going. Um, but it's uh, yeah. Look, I, I I suppose it is one of those things that. Um, but we might shut up about VAR actually because we have breaking news. We have breaking news. Villa have appointed former Wolves assistant boss and former FC Copenhagen um, sporting director Johan Lang uh, as their new sporting director. The 40-year-old joins from Villa from Copenhagen and replaces Jesus Garcia Pitash, who left on Monday. So, yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) I'd like to say I have a whole lot of things to say about Johan Lang, but I haven't Mm. <laughs> he was assistant still stole back in as a model between 2012 2013 um the day the danish league have been pretty proactive uh, this is me talking now my non being caught in the hop essentially here my non-facts hat on here this is not yeah. facts this is feelings okay as as a precursor but the danish league have been actually pretty good at sourcing players from abroad getting them in and moving them on to better leagues and then they're moving into, you know, they've, they've got this, basically Brentford have taken, have taken their model for their recruitment 
which is kind of topical because last night, you know, Brentford were getting a lot of plaudits for the players that they brought in. They've brought in a more of a statistical-based uh, analysis for, for players. And you see, like, Brentford have done some unbelievable recruitment over the last, uh, over the last five to six to seven years. Um, yeah. And their, their information, a lot of it comes from, I think, it's FC Michelin. Now, this is interesting, that FC Copenhagen. If I'm not mistaken, FC Copenhagen are a Danish club, and we did speak about this, that Sawiris and, and Edens were looking at taking over a Danish club, and they're also looking at taking over a Portuguese club. So this is really an interesting appointment for me. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, he's been brought in as part of the recruitment uh, department, um, it says here in something that I'm reading here from that Copenhagen enjoyed a good period of domestic dominance and they also earned a reputation for signing players and smaller fees before selling them at major profit. I know that that, quote, that quote is going to be taken out of this article. It's going to be blown up that Villa don't have a lot to spend. <laughs> Villa don't have a lot to spend. I don't really care what we spend on players as long as they can fit into the team's ethic and so on. Um, but yeah, so Villa have just announced it there that Last season, we were able to navigate a very difficult transition period into the Premier League, and we're happy with our efforts to stay up, but we will not be satisfied until we achieve our goal of bringing sustainable success to Aston Villa at the top tier of European football. And the word that you probably should take from that is sustainable success. And I think we going back again to... It's almost as if we knew this was happening and we didn't. Going back again to what I was mentioning about Suso was that if we look in time to come and see that he's financially put the club in a good financial position from the contracts that he's signed, coupled with what this guy can do if he brings in lower, uh, lower transfer fee players and, and we get a reputation for that, this club could really build. And the sustainable model is, I think, the way everybody would like to go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll watch his space over the next couple of days and I'm sure we'll learn a bit more about him. But uh, best of luck to him. I hope it's yeah. I hope it's a success as it's been with Copenhagen. They're you know they're good football inside and they've been in Champions League football for the last few years as long as I can remember. I remember them playing Celtic and thinking they were a really good really good side. So yeah, um, whether he's something got to do with that, but good luck to him. Lang has also said that Aston Villa is one of the most famous clubs in European football, which has a rich history, but it's also a progressive club looking to the future. I'm excited and honoured to be given this opportunity to contribute to the club's ambitious strategy to become a force in Premier League football again. Love to hear those words, progressive and ambitious, alongside my club, because that's what every fan should really hope for, hope that their club is. So that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, no, that's great. That's something that we didn't. It's a bit too late to go into our our, our top five for our um, uh, for the season two thousand and nineteen two thousand and twenty. But uh, yeah, it's good to be able to break news on a podcast. You know? Absolutely, uh, doesn't absolutely. happen too often. No, it doesn't. Um, but let's get back to our five good, Paddy. We've gotten through our five bad. And the five good, I suppose, will probably be easier to talk about. We will have less passion about them, I think, because, uh, well, we might have more passion. I don't know. But the five... Yeah, maybe. Five, a lot of enjoyment, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Um, less pent-up frustration in, in these yeah. ones. So I think my number five piece is going again, going again is, is proving people wrong. Um. <laughs> it's going to sound pe- uh, kind of small but pity or was it uh, petty and, and, and pathetic but the fact that we prove people wrong from the second we kick the ball against Tottenham people say we didn't have a chance to stand up that we're going to do a Fulham that we spent too much money that we don't have the infrastructure on the club that uh, the, the you know from every angle we were getting the whole go to do a Fulham thing 
So what are they going to say now? Um, and that's really a, a good piece for me is yeah. that Aston Villa are back proving people wrong. And, and I know it's only 17th and you can say that we took a victory lap and even the way that, that Roy Keane um, behaved, you know, looking at us, at us staying up, it just goes to show that the that even though maybe media sources and pundits wanted us to go down, um, they still weren't ready to admit that we didn't do a Fulham. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is lazy journalism, was it, at the time? Somebody tweeted, Villa are going to do it, uh, a Fulham. Everyone picked up on it, put it into all their lazy articles. And, uh, yeah, it was regurgitated every time Villa dropped into the bottom three or had a bad result. So, mm-hmm. um, tough shit. We didn't do a Fulham. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What's your number five, Paddy? My number five is the performances of Douglas Louise post-COVID. Very good, yeah. Um, I think he's been a revelation, I think. Um Delighted to hear from John McGinn to say that he worked very hard on his English and I've no doubt having played with a couple of foreign people over the years, it is very hard to communicate and the message, like even a simple thing of roaring man on. What, what does man on mean when you're in uh, yeah. you're in Brazil, you know? Um but uh take nothing away from him. Um he suddenly became the guy that obviously Man City saw something huge in. So uh yeah, I just hope Number one, you can hold on to him. And number two, that he drives on into next season in the same form. Yeah. Number four for me were, was the great cup run. Um, and this is probably a bit low. And I think maybe when I sat down to write this, I would have had this a bit higher. But for me, great cup run was fine. I loved the great time. I loved the Trezeguet goal, as I mentioned. I loved uh, getting one over on, our, on, on Wolves and Leicester. And I loved the fight that we showed for the last 25 minutes of the, of the Man City game. But for me, that was, um, that was fluff throughout the course of the season. It was always going to be fluff because yeah. like, this club was never going to gain anything from winning that. Yes, we would have got European football, but we might have been in the, champions, in the championship and you're still not going to be able to attract big players. You're not going to be able to grow the club. You would have still regressed as a club, regardless of what happened in that final. For me, it was fantastic. It was really buoyant for the club. As, we, as you mentioned, we won, the league, semi, we won the, the league Cup semi-final during that shitty period that we had uh, that I mentioned in the five bad. And we went in and we played a good uh, we had a good moral victory in, in the final, the way that we came at them so strong and we could have gotten an equaliser so, so close uh, to the end. But um, yeah, for me, it, it, I think it's probably right at fourth. I can understand if somebody had a third, second, first, whatever. But, but for me, in, in the way that I would equate importance, I suppose, of the, of the next three things for me, that for me was, um, yeah, I think it's just about yeah. right there for me. I have it a bit higher, so we'll come back to it. And, and that's and that's fine too. I can understand absolutely why why people would have it higher as well. But what's your number four? My number four was the recent beating of Arsenal. I think when I look back at our standout performances for the season, I think that's the best of them, the best of everything we've done. Um, I thought we defended for our lives. I thought we were totally clued in. There was no errors. Um, you know, it was such a good performance and so badly needed at that stage. So, uh, yeah, don't have much more to say about it other than it was, uh, it was, it was unexpected from me for sure. I'd have snapped your hand off for a draw in that. So, um, that's what I have at number four. Number three, that comes in here at number three for me. Uh, okay. number three, I have actually the three highlight wins that I have Arsenal. Uh, I th- I th- the way that we performed against Arsenal, 
the Everton win early in the season and the Brighton home win against uh, a Brighton home win with Matty Target scores in the 94th minute. That doesn't happen, Villa, very often. I know it happened once or twice this season, but that was the first instance whereby you're sitting there and you're going, "How are we going to like we're at, we're we're, we're going to lose against Brighton?" And then next thing, Matty Target out of nowhere comes in and hits a warm burner underneath the goalkeeper into the arrows it into the bottom corner, an unlikely source. Um, his yeah. celebration was, if I remember, I think his celebration might have been a bit hilarious. He just didn't really know what to do. Uh, but for me, they're the three games that really stand out. The Everton win, I thought, was huge because um, Everton were being fancied and being lauded as this defensive masterclass team. And they still had Marco Silva at the time, and they had spent loads of money. They were Everybody was raging about, about Andre Gomez, about Bernard, about Michael Keane and Yerimina at the back. And we went there, and we kind of dismantled them pretty pretty well you know, during that course of the game. They had Moise Keane, yeah. they had gotten uh, Theo Walcott. So they, they, they were being looked at as maybe a potential top six team. And we went there, and we, we softened our cough. And Wesley was imperious that day. He absolutely bullied Yerimina that day. And uh, El Ghazi had a very, very good game that day. I think he got the second goal as well. So, you know, that for me was a huge game. And obviously, look, the Arsenal game is what it is. We, we've waxed lyrically about that, about how, how important that game. That's the game that kept us up, really. Yeah. Um, so they're my, that's my number three for, um, for this. So what, what's your number three, Paddy? Um, number three for me, I have Jack's goal versus Man U. Oh, good point. I think, I think that was the moment that people realised that Jack was the real deal, that he had this in his armory, that he wasn't just the guy that you couldn't get the ball off and people perceived to be a, a diver. He has this unbelievable talent as well. Admittedly, we didn't see it too much during the year, but uh, when you look back at the, the moments that gave you the most happiness, and bear in mind that a lot of my friends are Man U fans, I really, really enjoyed that, seeing as they love slagging Jack Grealish. So... Um, yeah, I think it was the moment he announced himself onto the world stage. Pity he didn't do it more often. Goals like that throughout the season, but uh, you know, I think I think when you add up all the all the points throughout the season, he will be probably our player of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we tried to say to people, the season didn't start in June, so exactly <laughs> done before it. Exactly. But uh, yeah, absolutely spectacular goal. Uh, great celebration just on his knees in front of the Man U fans. And it was just the look of disbelief on their face. It was great. Mm-hmm. My number two is, and this is going to be, a pr- this is, I, I, don't, I don't expect an awful lot of people to agree with this. And this isn't me being trying to be controversial, but this is how I look at the game of football. And this is what I enjoy about the game of football as well is, and it didn't always work. Okay. So this is, this is why I don't, this is why I think I might get this probably a negative backlash for this one. But I love to see a team that wasn't afraid to make some tactical changes. Um, far too long we've been a four-four-two, rigid four-four-two, rigid four-two-three-one. To see us play three at the back and try something, get in a, get a bounce from it during during a par, a, por, par, ugh, a portion of the season when things weren't going right. We were trying something different. It wasn't the definition of insanity. Dean, and this is why I really like Dean Smith and want him to stay at the club. And I never bought into the Smith out thing. He was trying to do the best with the with the the jigsaw pieces that he had, and that for me was really encouraging that we had a coach at the, at the helm. We did, like people were saying, bring in Big Sam, bring in Big Sam, bring in Tony Pulis. Yeah, and, and they've got plan A, they don't have a plan B, plan C, but they don't have a plan A, anything else. And so for me, um, to see a manager that is willing to try and implement something, try something, doesn't work, 
And yes, he did come back. He, and people would say he put sure he came back to his original, um, his original ta- tactic, his original formation. Yes, but now his original tactic. You know, if you look at anything to do with heat maps or where those mid- central midfielders were, it's a completely different setup that that team had with the way that those central midfielders were set up, with the way our wing backs were set up, and the way that our our wingers were 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 loosely were, were set up as well. So that's what I, I. That's number two piece for me. The fact that we have a coach uh, over our team as opposed to a guy who's done the same thing for 40 years. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, as you know, I've always been a huge fan of his. I've been reluctant to slag anything he's done because I think he's learned from all the mistakes that he made. Like there's some really good football people that are friends of mine, Villa fans, who just can't see what he does. And... Uh, it baffles me that they, they want to mouse and, you know, they jump on the bandwagon as soon as something happens. Um, he's a really good coach. Bear in mind that if you go back to the start of the season and the list that was possibly given of Mopoi, Benarama, the lads, the Kevin Phillips, Phillips. All, all these people, they, they were all people that we could see were Dean's men that he didn't get. You know, for what reason or another, I don't know. But, uh, and players that probably would have made a huge difference in, in our in our squad for this season. So uh yeah, I had to argue with that. He's uh he's a good man, he's a good he's a he's a good coach and quite obviously knows what he's doing. Uh, a lot of negativity towards the backroom team. I don't get that either. Um I think we've turned around our defence since lockdown as well. That just needed possibly that bit of time to work with them and get it sorted. But it was Lockdown was kind to us. I think I think Dean will probably admit that himself. So uh yeah, I think our, our defence will be in a better place from for from next season because of what happened in lockdown. But you know, that change changing it up, even even down to you know the, the different style of attack when we played Sheffield United when we returned. There was no there was no fear in him in, in changing things up. And uh yeah, hat tip to him. He had a good season. Mm-hmm. What was your number two, Paddy? My number two is the Carabao Cup run, specifically that's late. I knew it wasn't going to be number one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you didn't win it. Um, (laughs) Well, I think I think for a club like ours, I think that's five trips to Wembley in five years, Hmm. which is fantastic, and I think that's majorly important from a fan base that if we're not knocking on the door of top six or winning leagues or anything like that, we need to have these cup runs to keep everyone together. I guarantee you, no matter to a man, if you sit down and talk about the great days that we had last season, that's going to be number one for everybody. Yeah. People, people, I saw people walk out of Wembley. Uh, there were, you know, People said there was a bit of fighting and things like that that went on. To a man, everyone was coming out of there happy. And even yeah, when I when I got to my daughter, she was crying because she thought I'd be crying. <laughs> but it was actually completely the opposite because the team did us proud as well on the day. But uh, it was it was a great day for good friends to get together. And I think it's important we have them. Um, a lot of people do it differently throughout the year. Their highlight is usually the last. It can be the last home game in the season where everyone dress, dresses up in fancy dress and has to crack. Or it can be pre-season when they go off to Germany or Minnesota or whatever it may be. But uh, for me, those trips to Wembley, 
are the highlights of me being a Villa fan and I've had so many of them since I started. I've nearly lost count. But the five in the last five years and been able to experience that highs and lows in, in the five years with my son uh, has been tremendous. And I imagine it's the sole reason he's still a Villa fan. So if it keeps the young people, it's very important. Absolutely. Um, I don't expect to be there next season. I think our sole, our sole purpose next season now is to build on what we've done in the Premier League. Um, I think I think that kind of showed when he put out a, a more or less a B team against Fulham. Ultimately knocked us out of the FA Cup. I don't think anyone was too upset with, with uh, an upcoming semi-final of the Carabao Cup at that stage. So I don't think Cups will be anywhere near top of our priorities for the next few years. Mm. But... Uh, you just you just can't beat a trip to Wembley. Yeah, I think we'll probably be Wembley the year after though in the cha- in the um, charity shield as league winners. That's probably uh, where our next uh, trip to Wembley will be. Uh, <laughs> you must know more about this director of football than you're letting on. <laughs> what a blind optimism guy. That's the kind. Of, that's the guy I am. I'm Mister Blind Optimism. <laughs> As Matt Kendrick said, if we finish eight, eight points above uh, where we finished, like this year we finished eight, eight places above where we finished last year. If we finish eight places above that next year, we'll be doing well. If we finish eight, eight places above that again next the year after, we'll be champions. So you know, champions. there's there's our progression. <laughs> um, so my number one piece for this is again is my number one good point for this is the team stability slash team spirit that we could see throughout the course of this year. Um, for me, that is paramount in anything that happens here. You see that uh, you see that Jack likes Dean. Jack gets on with McGinn. Mings gets on with McGinn. Mings gets on with Dean. There's an intertwining here whereby people are forming really good relationships. People are forming real-life relationships within this team. And I know everyone will go, oh, I don't want my manager to be friends with players and all this. That's fine. But it can work too. It can absolutely work too. It's not just because Sir Alex Ferguson was a complete and utter demon to his players that every other manager needs to be that way. Maybe like Dean Smith's management style is very much um, is very much hands on. Uh, people have I've, I've heard people say that he was too soft. Don't like what I don't even know what that means. Uh, were our players out of line at any stage? Was there any stage where our players were given a free pass? You know, if you can come and tell me that, then that's absolutely fine. But I love the team, the stability, the team, the team spirit that's in this team. You see, they all have a laugh, they all have a joke. John McGinn and that singing that song, and Tyrone Mings just breaking himself in laughter. The fact that after we won promotion last year, Tyrone Mings didn't take off his his kit for nearly two days. Uh, this team is very together, and people who come into this team very quickly become part of it. You saw Pepe Reina, very much part of the celebrations. Uh, and, and like he celebrated European Cup wins and stuff like that so I like that about this team they're not a team of slackers but they're a team that are very much um, a band of brothers and once again okay. I go back to the contracts that, this, that, that have been signed for this team and this team can grow um, on the field as much as they've grown off the field as we, as we go through the, I suppose, the period of this. We're set up well, provided that we stay, uh, that, the, that the core nucleus of this team sets together. Yeah. Um, I suppose in a roundabout way, it's my number one as well, in that, uh, you know, you could see what effect the management team had them heading into, heading into the, the final 
10 games or wherever it was and how they transformed the team that was leaking like a sea of the goals into basically a team that was nearly impossible to break down. Um, the camaraderie is there. You're looking at, uh, you're looking at, you know, if you, we spoke about two and Zabi and uh, Tammy coming back into that, getting the band back together. Um, I think if we'd have gone up with with those guys, we'd probably be in a better place now. Um, you know, when I when I was managing um, at at adult level, my, my motto was always no dickheads. Yeah. <laughs> Dickheads in their squad. So if somebody if somebody turned up and wanted to train with us, you know, I'd have a nice polite word, and it's just sorry, not for me. I can't see where you're going to fit into this squad. I wouldn't tell him he's a dickhead, obviously. But yeah. uh, um, and I think more or less we have that in what we have now. You don't look around and go, Jesus, I wouldn't say he gets done with him at all, and he, oh, I don't see what he brings to the table, all that kind of stuff. So um, there's absolutely camaraderie there you can see John McGinn going off on holidays with Jack Grealish on Monday um, you know I think I think there's a lot of life buddies in that squad it's just a question now of longevity I think if we can get behind Dean if we can back him with money he brings in the right players I think we're on an upward trajectory for the next who knows Yeah. the, the, the longevity of that team is at least 10 years could be absolutely could be opinion anyway yeah and you notice that we didn't say the five good things were staying in the league because that's implied, I think, at this stage <laughs> that uh, without the five good things that we've bought, we've all brought, that maybe we wouldn't have had the impetus to stay up. And, yeah. um, you know, I think without, without team stability, team spirit and so on like that, you don't stay up in, in this league. Um, exactly. I think pulling eight points in the last four games, you know, yeah. amazing, absolutely amazing. And it just goes to show the, the fight that we have there. Um with the exception of throwing away that win against Everton, I still believe we threw it away. Still irks me, but that's just mm. the manager coming out with me because that's <laughs> the that would live long in my memory. But yeah. uh, it's it's hard to argue that we achieved what we what we all wanted was to stay up. We did it the hard way, but we did it, and onwards and upwards. Absolutely, 100%. It's been a draining season in a lot of ways. It's been an exhilarating season in a lot of ways. The way that it finished, I don't think, you know, in a kind of sadistic kind of way, I don't think I would change the way that it finished. I liked the pressure that the last four games brought, the expectance, the pressure that the last four games brought. Um, It was also another great thing about it was that it was all rattled off in the space of four weeks. So it was bang, 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 bang. And you were (laughs) never too far. You never got down the rabbit hole of depression or thought process behind the loss. You got up in the horse again and it was ready to go. It reminded me of being in the championship, the way that games come taking fast midweek and so on. And I really like that. It's a, it's a year we will never, ever forget. I will never, ever forget this year um, because of everything that's gone on. But uh, all in all, look, we, we, we preserved our Premier League status, which we said we wanted to do from day one. Um, the cherry on top then, I suppose, was getting to Wembley again. But at the end of the day, you know, we did what we set out to do. And, and it is onwards and upwards with the great news. We've got a new sporting director who has shown a lot of, a lot of promise. We've got a, a period in which we can sign players. And we have this core group of guys that get on with each other, that buy into what, what Dean Smith is saying. And, and we can grow towards, uh, mm-hmm. towards a better league position or, or whatever the future does hold for Aston Villa over the next year or so. 
I think we've laid down a marker getting in the, the sporting director so quick. Yeah. Um, I know the the, uh, the negative people would probably say, oh, he had him pick for a long time and that's not fair enough for losing the job. But that's football. That's that's the way it has to be. Yeah. This, this wasn't done since Monday. I'm sure it was in the pipeline for a while. So uh, best of luck to our new sporting director. I hope he, he'll unearth uh, a few little g- hidden gems for us and uh, we can... Uh, we can look forward to taking on the Premier League and what won't be long coming around to us at this stage. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to leave it there, guys. That's a longer podcast than, than, uh, than we normally have. Uh, but I think, it's, um, I, think, I think it's a very good podcast to have to be able to look back at it as well. We've spoken an awful lot about a lot of things today. And look, as I say, we'll be back again uh, as any news breaks. We'll be back to give you our opinions on it, whether they be right or wrong. And, uh, you know, we're not going to take much of a break anyway over the course of this, this off-season. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, I had a bit of a, a break in the month of January. But uh, so I, I'm, I'm still refreshed and revitalized. So I'm going to be, we're, we're <laughs> going to come back. We're going to get at it as well um, on the podcast um, as much as we possibly can over the off-season. So once again, to everybody, thank you so much for listening in. Thank you so much for all the interaction online. Uh, it, it's, it's just mind-blowing how how many people have reached out to say they like the podcast all we're doing is talking our mind we're not exactly calculating anything out we're just basically spitballing here and, and i'm delighted that people like it thanks i I'm, from my own point of view i want to say thanks to danny and danny and 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 cole as well for inviting me on the podcast previously you know it's it's just good to talk about villa um and and you know a lot of you guys have said that you found the podcast through listening to to the podcast as well so i can't thank the guys enough for for having the confidence and to, to be able to bring me on their podcast as well which is quite cool <laughs> if there's anybody else that went out there that wants to come on our podcast we'd be delighted to talk to you too um so as always you can find the podcast you can find paddy suppose firstly on at villa paddy uh you can find myself on at love mcgrath pod got it right this time and uh, he, you can subscribe to it on any of any of the good podcast apps. So please do that. And as I always say, rob your friend's phone. No, that social distancing. Uh, but do it socially distant. When he goes to the toilet, rob his phone. Sign him up. He'll appreciate it afterwards. Um, so thanks really to everybody for a fantastic season, 2019-2020 season. I'm looking forward to seeing what the off-season brings. I think... All that's really left to thanks, say. Thanks for having me along the way on your your little roller coaster of a, an Irish two Irish guys talking about uh, Aston Villa. It's been fun. I've, it's been I've great enjoyed fun. Going that way, so uh, hopefully we can keep it going and get some new and exciting guests on and have a, have a bit of fun with it over the next season. Exactly, exactly, you know. And as I said, without you, it would have been there would have been a lot of me talking into a, into a vacuum here as well. So <laughs> it's 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 great to have you on board as well. Um, but yeah, as I said, hopefully we do. We grow to grow to better things as the as the next few months go onwards. Uh, and and you know that what do we do or what do we don't? We'll still be here to talk Aston Villa to any of you guys who want to listen. <laughs> so that's basically going to do it for today's podcast. As I say, um, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to try and figure out who Johan Lang is at the moment. And uh, I suppose all that's really left to say is up the villa. Up the villa.
Podcast Network.